Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Our findings there show that there is some promise. We, we find that there are ways for journalists to broaden the appeal of their work to those that tend to be more doubtful of the media. A good portion of the American public does not trust the media. A new study took a look at the reasons for that and offers a blueprint for how journalists can change what they are doing and begin to foster greater trust from their audience. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. The Media Insight Project recently released a study in collaboration with the Associated Press, NORC, Center for Public Affairs Research, and our friends at the American Press Institute. The study examined whether Americans believe in journalism's core values. Today, I'll be talking to NORC Vice President Jennifer Benz and Tom Rosensteel, API's Executive Director, about the study. Jennifer and Tom, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Okay. Let me start with you, Jennifer, just to, to get the ball rolling on this discussion. You know, what was the impetus for this study? What was it you were setting out to determine? Sure. We were setting out to try and understand how the public views what journalists see as their core mission. And what we really wanted to get at was understanding if some of the lack of trust in journalism has to do with how people view journalism values and whether the way that journalists define their mission is essentially leaving out certain types of people in the country, whether there are therefore ways that we can change the way that we tell stories or frame stories or pick the stories to tell in the first place that would broaden the audience and help establish trust in segments of the population that we've been missing. And Michael, let me add to that just two things. Another impetus behind doing that was that the debate over trust and over attitudes towards journalism feels very stuck and has for a long time. Journalists are accused on the, by the left and the right of bias of different sorts. On the right, they're often accused of, of having a secret liberal agenda of putting their thumb on the scale to help the Democratic Party. And journalists deny that uh, almost universally, universally say, no, we're just doing our job. We're doing what we think we should be doing. And on the left, the criticism to oversimplify is, you know, you, you reflect a default cultural point of view. You're not neutral. You reflect the establishment. So this debate has, hasn't gone anywhere. People don't engage each other in this argument very effectively. And we were really struck by research that began uh, a decade or so ago that's had a big impact on social psychology that's called moral foundational theory. And moral foundational theory was introduced by a team of researchers led by a guy named Jonathan Haidt, in part because in this discussions of politics, they were similarly stuck. Liberals tended to think that conservatives were immoral and didn't care about people because 
how could they support the policies that they did? And conservatives tended to think, no, you're the ones who are, your morals are all cockeyed. And so they developed this body of work called Moral Foundational Theory, where they, they identified five sort of moral instincts, kind of core foundations of moral thinking that influence politics. One is, how much do you believe in authority? Another is, how much do you believe in loyalty? How much importance do you uh, put on that? Another is, how much importance do you put on care? Another is, how much importance do you put on fairness? And they measured these on a scale where you're asked questions that are supportive of that and questions that are sort of the antithesis of that or that sort of lean in the other direction that care or fairness or authority can be taken too far. So the idea we had was, gee, there are these core journalism values that all journalists know. What if we replicated the moral foundational theory work and then ask the same people about journalism core values and see where they land in support or skepticism on those values. So that was the idea. We were replicating a structure here to see if we could open a new doorway into understanding trust. How was the study conducted? To address the, the research objectives that Tom was just discussing, we conducted two surveys with a, a general population sample, meaning a, a nationally representative sample of all adults. And the first survey was conducted in the fall of 2019 with just over 2,000 people. And on this survey, we administered these validated questionnaires that Tom was discussing that are designed to measure each respondent's moral foundations profile. And then we also administered on the same survey this parallel scale that we developed that gets at understanding people's support for the five core journalistic values. And our goal here was to see the relationship between moral foundations and attitudes about core principles of journalism. And then on that survey, we also collected a profile for each person that measured their attitudes toward the media and their news behaviors. And then in the second survey, we fielded it in just shy of a, a year later or so, and we fielded it with the same group of people that took the first survey. And we gave these respondents in the second survey news stories to read. And these were based on real stories from the Associated Press. And each respondent was randomized to receive one of two versions of the same story. There was kind of a, a standard version that was written as a relatively typical news story, very similar to what was published by AP in terms of framing and content, but then generalized so it wasn't um, you know, overly specific to a particular figure or town or person. But then we also crafted a revised version of each one of these stories that included additional elements like a different headline or modified first sentence, some additional information that was designed to tap into some of the moral foundations that aren't included in typical news coverage as often. Otherwise, the stories were identical. They had the same set of facts and information, but it was really just some slight tweaking to the framing. And after they read each story, respondents answered a series of questions about their 
assessments of the story, their engagement and trust in the material. So the idea here is that by the end of both studies, we sort of understood every respondent's moral values, their feelings toward core journalistic principles, and then we could assess if you can tell stories a slightly different way, whether or not you can reach some of the segments in the population that have generally lacked trust in media. And just so we understand the five journalistic values that you were you know, trying to get a take on, what were those? Well, there were things that we know from work that we did. I mean, I co-authored the Elements of Journalism, and in, in that work, we did extensive surveys, this is, you know, 20 years ago, of journalists about what are their core values. We, for the purposes of this study, based on that work, we identified five things that we thought journalists believed were, you know, key parts of their mission. I'll tell you what they are in a sec. And then we brought these to a group of journalists and ran them by them, had long discussions about how they viewed them. We actually asked them what their core values were first and then gave them the values that we'd identified. And we talked about them to kind of further validate that these were things that were shared. They are not going to be ones that surprise anybody. They are people in power should be, should be watched or monitored, kind of the watchdog function, that society you know, works better if things are transparent and out in the open, that a good way to solve problems and, or make society better is to put a searchlight on its problems, the press is a social critic or that with a Lipman metaphor of the searchlight. Another one is that facts, the, the more facts you have, the closer you'll get to the truth. And I think the fifth one was that it's important to offer a voice to the less powerful in society. It doesn't mean that these are the only five journalism values there are, but we were picking ones that we thought journalists would say, yeah, yeah, that's certainly part of, part of, the, of my core thinking part of my motivation of why I became a journalist. Yeah, you can see that that's it's a part of the way we cover our communities every day. You've explained what you were looking for, what, you know, your approach and what core values you were measuring against various members of the, of the survey, respondents to the surveys, a sort of moral take on things. What did this survey reveal? Sure, I can start us off and then uh, Tom can fill in. So, I mean, I think the, you know, one sort of key finding that we saw in the data is that not all Americans universally embrace these core journalism values. And so this idea that when a journalist says, I'm just doing my job, Part of the trust problem may be that many Americans are skeptical about what that job of journalism should be because they are not universally embracing all of these journalistic principles. In fact, only 11% of the public agreed, at least in part, with most of journalism's main principles, um, these five that we tested. And we find that the trust issue may be more rooted in people's moral values that we tested more so than just their politics. So again, this idea that um, if you are, are thinking about trust in media or any sort of societal problem these days, if you take the debate down the route that it's 
Democrats feel this way, Republicans feel this way, you often come to a standstill. But this research shows that people's innate moral values um, oftentimes underlie their journalism attitudes. And these moral values do cut across partisanship um, and they do impact how people perceive the media. And it may be a fact that um, Americans are just not seeing their moral values reflected in the news. And that's where the second survey, where we experimented with these different ways of telling stories, our findings there show that there is some promise. We, we find that there are ways for journalists to broaden the appeal of their work to those that tend to be more doubtful of the media and that they can change the framing to try and speak more to some of these moral values like loyalty and authority in telling their stories. And they can do that without alienating existing readers, without alienating those 11% of people who are already supportive of the journalistic mission. And Michael, what would that really, I mean, that was a perfect answer. And what it means and the implication in, in practical terms for a journalist, they don't have to, you know, be steeped in this research or worry about the moral value, you know, try and understand what the moral values of audiences might be. What it implies is something that is very practical, which is, okay, you know, I choose to do this story because I think, you know, it's my job to cast a light on problems in society. All right, well, are there things about the situation that you're covering that are also working well? If your default is to only spotlight problems, your view as a journalist may be narrow. Or if you say, I'm gonna do this expose and everyone's gonna be so thrilled that I've brought this thing to light. Well, some people are actually gonna be nervous that you're endangering a situation by bringing certain things to light. I, I covered things in Washington for many years. And when you covered national security, people who worked in that field were often uneasy because what journalists did could expose sources and methods. So it's just an awareness that there are people who don't understand us, don't believe all the things we believe as journalists, and that when we're doing our stories, we should keep them in mind. One very simple, practical way of doing this is an old technique where you would say, okay, I'm doing this story. Who are all the people who are going to be affected by this story? what are the questions and views that they're gonna bring to this story that I need to answer? And you sort of widen your lens rather than as a journalist, rather than thinking that everybody who reads the story is gonna think like you do, you the reporter. You know, one of the things that, that Jennifer said got me thinking, and then Tommy, you, perhaps you, you answered this because it almost seemed to me that one of the things that we, we need to do to sort of gain that trust is, I mean, do we need to rethink our our values or is it really more the way with which we are presenting our reporting and our story choice? Well, I'll take a first whack at that. It's a great question because I think people, this is a complicated study. It's, it's a breakthrough study. It's opening new ways of thinking about things. And it's easy for people to get defensive in response to results like this or, or draw the wrong lessons. I think some people have thought, oh, so are you saying that journalism values, journalists have the wrong values? No, that's not, 
that's not at all what we were implying or what we were testing or you know what the findings suggest. But journalists whose job it is to accurately portray the truth about events and try and convey that truth to as wide an audience as possible to create a, a large and healthy public square. To do our jobs, we need to know that not everybody thinks like us and that if we're going to say that people in government should be monitored, for instance, we should be a watchdog of them. It also means that we should accredit the ones who are going to be accurately portraying the work of government. We should know where government seems to be accomplishing things, or not everybody in government is a hypocrite, or not every problem that, that government encounters is caused by the notion that power corrupts absolutely. In other words, have a more nuanced understanding of the way the world works and portray that understanding. You know, another part of that answer is, yes, almost everybody thinks that spotlighting problems is a, is a good way to solve them. But a lot of people also think that celebrating what works in society is also an important way to make the world better. In fact, only about 43% of people said across the political spectrum said, that a good way to solve society's problems is to, is, is to point out its problems. More people, a lot more people said a good way to make society better is to point out what's working. That may not be as strong a journalistic instinct to point out you know, the things that are good and that are working, but it's not one we would disagree with as journalists. So it may be a frame that we should use more often or, or recognize that our coverage of our monitoring of civil institutions and civic activities needs to be more comprehensive and proportional. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just add that I think the results are pointing to an idea not of reducing the stories we tell or how we tell them, but rather the, the data very clearly are pointing to an approach of broadening. So, just like Tom was saying, you know, thinking about the different stories that you can tell and realizing that some of the stories of celebrating people, celebrating events are just as valuable to a large segment of the population as the stories that spotlight problems in society. And even thinking within a particular story about how you're telling it, thinking about the different perspectives on any given issue that you're reporting on and broadening the way that you're telling the story. It's not a matter of dismissing the journalism principles that we've relied on for so long. Okay. One of the things that this sort of discussion gets me thinking are the just the things that are may not even be particularly related to our values, but the way with which we, you know, identify what a good story would be and the way we want to cover it. And so I guess what we're talking about here is really kind of broadening our approach and thinking things in a different way about what makes a good story and what, what's going to have a, a bigger impact. Is it, you know, a big story of uncovering corruption may be impactful, but it may not be the one that people are going to maybe value it as other types of things. I mean, is, do you see this as in any sense a limiting way of 
our role or is it just we need to rethink our daily practices in order to to take into consideration these other moral implications? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a first swing at that. I mean, in the book, Elements of Journalism, one of the principles is, you know, make the news comprehensive and keep it in proportion. We use the analogy in that book that journalism is like a form of social cartography. You're drawing a map for the audience of, of the world that day. And if you exaggerate something for whatever reasons, because it's your bias or because you think it will, you know, get a bigger audience. It's like drawing the map the way that ancient cartographers did about the things they didn't know, you know, where they would put sea monsters in the other side of the world. You want to make the map as accurate as you can. So then it is a better tool for people to navigate their way through their lives. And so that means that you keep problems in proportion. You know, if a piece of legislation, let's say, is agreed upon by 90% of the legislation is not controversial, but there's one sticking point in it, don't make the story entirely about that sticking point and create the impression that there's no common ground on that piece of legislation because you're actually distorting the reality of, of that event that you're covering. It also means that sort of don't get lost as a tribe. Journalists should not get lost as a tribe, only their own conventions and their own way of looking at the world. It's our job to reflect the communities that we serve and cover and inform. And that means being in touch with them. You know, there's a whole movement, Michael, and you've had people who are engaged in it on your show, the movement of engaged journalism, which means knowing how to listen to your audiences and understand them so that you can serve them. And there are a lot of more advanced techniques for listening to audiences than there used to be. We want to make our interactions with the communities that we serve much less transactional. You know, I go out there with my notebook and I get a quote and I'm done and much more interactive where I'm actually trying to understand them, listen to them. That will help me do stories in the future. You know, all of Amanda Ripley's work about making complicating narratives rather than oversimplifying them. It really all is part of the same thing. So, you know, the research is saying be a better listener and a more empathetic student of the audiences that you serve. And there's evidence here that you will broaden the audience. Not only will you broaden the audience, if you write a story that encompasses and anticipates the interests of a broader group of people, you'll not only bring those people in, you'll make it more interesting for the people who already liked you because the reality that you're depicting is more nuanced. Do you think, because this sort of gets me thinking in a different way, do you think that sometimes journalists are using our values in the wrong way or we're using them as, I don't know, crutches or as things that sort of narrow our our coverage and narrow our interaction with people because of, you know, things like, you know, false balance, for example, where you, you know, I just got to go out and get a quote from somebody else so that you're not really, you're not really expanding the story. You're not really, but you're elevating another person's perspective to the people that you've already 
that you've already interviewed, and maybe they aren't of equal value. I just think sometimes it seems that that reporters use their the values sometimes as justifications for the way they're kind of covering a particular type of story. I'm thinking of the people who raise criticisms about helicopter journalism, people dropping in on a, some event and you know, they're there, but they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily know the story on the ground and then rely only partial aspects. It's just poor reporting, but it's something that people do. Look, anytime you kind of lose yourself in a series of lazy techniques in any profession, that's bad, right? If you're a doctor and you do your rounds and you're just checking the chart and you don't actually listen to the patient, then you're just picking up what the nurse had already picked up and you might miss something. If you helicopter into some story, you've never been in that community, you don't know what, uh, who these folks are, you take one look at them, you stereotype them based on their clothes, and then you write a story that is actually a story that's been written a thousand other times by big city journalists helicoptering into you know, a community they don't know, that's bad. That's just bad technique. Or if you slide into cynicism, and you become kind of the hard-boiled stereotype, almost self-parody of the, you know, of the front-page journalist who isn't actually covering the news, they're exploiting it to sell, to build audience. That's bad journalism. All of these things, or thinking, I don't know anything about, take your pick, climate change. Therefore, I mean, this is an ancient example, and so it's an easy one for people to understand. We now know that the science on climate change is very, you know, overwhelmingly settled. So if you did a story where you gave equal weight to people who are climate deniers, as you did to, you know, the, the body of climate thinking, that's a distortion. That's inaccurate. That's your classic case of false balance. If you do it in a, in a, on a story because you're ignorant, that's bad journalism. And if you do it on a story because you're lazy, that's bad journalism. But the motives were, were different. Jennifer, do you have anything to add to that? I would, I guess, just say that, you know, we also tried in the study with this idea that Tom was speaking about in terms of engaging your audience. And so we we wanted to try and give people something practical or a practical way to, to think about their audience. And we we used the, the data from the study to sort of group people together based on their support of the core journalism values and their moral foundational values. You know, I, I think it gives sort of a, a useful framework for journalists to, you know, be aware of the fact that it's only about 20% of the public that is kind of fully aligned with the profession's core principles. And these are the principles sort of as stated in the study, you know, sort of when they are being applied to journalism correctly and not in the sort of lazy or ignorant ways that Tom was just describing. That leaves 80% of the public that, you know, has a higher degree of skepticism about journalism values. And the, the biggest of these groups, we called them upholders in the study, 35% of the national audience, they are highly engaged in the news, they're news consumers, but they're skeptical of the press 
and they have a, a really high value. They put a lot of emphasis on respect for leaders and groups and loyalty. And there's another large segment of the population, nearly a quarter that we called moralists, who strongly endorse all five of the moral foundational values and are generally supportive of journalism values. And when you look at these two groups together, it's a really diverse swath of the public. They're racially diverse and they're politically and ideologically diverse. That's a helpful tool when, you know, thinking about storytelling and when thinking about applying these principles that, you know, it's not just, you know, give voice to this side of a very particular political argument or the other side, but there's actually a lot of shared values across different political and demographic groups that you might not realize. There's a lot of intersectionality when you look at the audience and there are communities of color that are just as supportive of these ideas of loyalty and respect for authority as some conservative populations. And so I think that really opens the door for journalists to think broadly about what the stakeholder perspectives and any story might be. Yeah, Michael, one of the key things here is we were able to control for political party identification and even self-identified ideology. And by tying people's sort of attitudes towards journalism to these moral values, we were able to see, okay, skeptics of journalism are not a monolith and it's more than a partisan thing. And it's tied to these instincts, these deeper moral instincts. One other thing I want to, and Jenny's been very clear on that. One other thing that I think it's useful for people to understand is when we say somebody is you know, it's not fully supportive or is not supportive of a journalism. It doesn't mean that they are against it. It means that they registered some support for it, but they also registered even stronger reservations or, or concerns about it. And when we say that someone balances out as being a strong supporter of these journalism values, it means that they, they registered strong support for the value and their reservations about the downsides or the risks of that value were quite low. So it's not this binary thing, like, do you agree that the powerful should be watched? Everybody has some support for that, but then they have concerns on the other side. And so you're scoring across where they land on a spectrum of concern versus support for those things. So that's another reason that you can, I think, win the interest or intrigue the interest and the genuine curiosity of people who might be skeptical of journalists because they do think the powerful should be monitored. And if you can alleviate some of their other concerns or touch on some of their other things that they would think, they're even more open to the reporting that you're doing. What's interesting about this is, you know, you could do a study like this and a cynical person could say, yeah, go do the study so I can figure out what those people don't understand about us. But this is really kind of on us because we're the ones who, who need to make these changes if we value trust in journalism, I mean, we can continue on the way we are, but if we want to be, you know, to change some people's attitudes, I mean, you talked about engagement, certainly, and diversity and, you know, recognizing that, that people have different perspectives on and values on what news means to them. And so I guess we have a lot to do, <laughs> don't you think? 
but it's not a shut door. You know, I mean, when you look at the basic trust data, you could look at the Gallup data. Gallup's got the data that goes back the longest, right? It goes back to the 70s. You know, if you just glance at it, they, they don't go all that deep on some of that stuff. You know, you see that only 10% of Republicans say they trust what they see in the mainstream media. And, you know, 40% of independents and 73, 70 plus percent of Democrats. You walk away from that and you think, well, gosh, okay. I mean, I guess my audience is going to be Democrats and some independents. You know, I'm like, I'll never chip away at, you know, at a group that 90% doesn't trust me. Well, that seems like a locked room. And what this, I think, is saying is, no, no, there's a lot of windows into that room. That way of looking at it is probably missing a lot of things, oversimplifying a lot of things. And if we can understand these, what the reservations are, I don't trust you, it sort of ends the conversation. But if I can understand what people's hesitations or reservations are about the work I'm doing, maybe there's a, a path forward. I think we touched upon it at one point, but I, I mean, I, I do think it's worth repeating or emphasizing the idea that these relatively minor experimental changes we made in how we framed headlines and lead paragraphs in these stories, that they not only helped engage and bring in a new audience that tends to be higher in these loyalty and authority types of moral values and more skeptical of journalism values, but they also increased the interest and engagement and trust of the people who typically are already on board with journalism's core principles. And so Tom made the point earlier when we were sort of discussing the practical implications of this, that when you're thinking about these story choices and storytelling choices, that it's an opportunity to get windows into this population that has seemed very hard to reach because of the trust issue, but it's also a way to better engage your existing audience and that these results are indicative that even your current readers are interested and hungry for a more nuanced way of, of seeing the stories that you're trying to tell. I guess both of you are telling us that there is some hope here. This is not a locked door. The survey has shown that there are things we can do to improve the way we're presenting our story. So even though when you first see this, the survey, you might get this impression that it's really kind of negative towards journalism. It's actually a really good learning document. Jennifer, Tom, thank you for coming on. We're going to have a link to the uh, study on our website. You know, I would encourage everybody who's interested in doing good journalism moving forward and figuring out how to foster trust as a journalist to check it out. Tom and Jennifer, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes 
and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.